Good morning. Happy New Year to you. I'm excited to be able to spend the first day of 2017 with you here at Ivy Creek. And it is exciting to be able to worship uh, with, with brothers and sisters in Christ and be a part of God's family here this morning. And so we are excited that you are here. And I don't know, I was, I was thinking about what Dave said earlier when he talked about how you may have rung in the new year. Uh, I didn't see a peach drop. I didn't see a ball drop. I didn't see a shrimp drop. I didn't see a beach ball drop. I was asleep. I was, I was the guy like the other one. I actually went to sleep, and <clears throat> much to the chagrin of my children who think that uh, we needed to be up and, 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 and watching all of that stuff, I, I actually went to sleep that way. So you may think that I'm sort of a, sort of a, a, a no-fun, nobody, kind of like that, and that's fine. But I just decided I wanted to, I, I'd, I'd let the new year wake me the next morning. So uh, we, we are glad to do that. If you've got your Bibles this morning, I hope that you do. Please take them and turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. You know, we probably all greeted one another this morning and we continue to greet one another saying Happy New Year. And, and uh, the reason why we do that is because we really want each other to have a Happy New Year. And that, the thought of that's what brings me to ask a question this morning that I think our text is going to help us answer. The question that, that, that I want us to consider this morning is this. How do you prepare to have a Happy New Year? How do you prepare to have a Happy New Year? Maybe I could rephrase the question this way and say this, what are the prerequisites for having a happy new year? Um, I'm sure many of you have specific customs that you and your family engage in on New Year's Day. Growing up in my family, uh, we always had something that we did on New Year's Day. We always had a meal together, and at that meal, we had collards and black-eyed peas and slaw and ham and cornbread and am I missing something else? Probably something along those lines, some kind of dessert. And, and here was the way that that all went. Around my house growing up is if you had black-eyed peas, that meant that later in the year you'd get pennies or coins would come in if you ate enough black-eyed peas on the first day of the year. And if you ate collards, well, then dollars follow those. And I just want you to know I never ate those things thinking that I was going to get pennies and dollars. In the year. I ate them because I liked them. As a matter of fact, I liked them so much, we're fixing to have some here a little later at the house when I go home. Um, but no doubt you have traditions that you enjoy and that you've always engaged in on New Year's Day. Uh, I was introduced to some folks over Christmas at my in-laws up in Greenville, South Carolina, who, who had recently moved to this country from Burma. And we were talking about holiday traditions and things that they did as customary, particularly at New Year's. And you might be interested in knowing that in Burma, uh, they have a festival, a water festival, where people just throw water on one another. Uh, that's the way that they celebrate the New Year's, by throwing water on each other. And, and they do that in order to symbolize a desire to start the New Year off with a, with a purified soul. That's sort of the direction that they go. I'm glad we don't have that tradition here. Particularly since it's January and it's typically a little colder. I just don't particularly want to do that. But that got me to thinking about what are some other traditions that, are, that we might encounter across the globe in various places. These are some interesting ones I found out. In the Philippines, homeowners open all of their doors and windows on New Year's Eve in order to allow all the negative energy from their house to go out and positive energy to come in. In Spain, the tradition calls for eating 12 grapes just before midnight. And, and it said if you eat those just before the, the clock strikes midnight, then you will have good fortune all throughout the next 12 months of the year. On New Year's Eve in Russia, this one's interesting, you write a wish for the upcoming New Year on a small piece of paper, then you burn that paper, then you take the ashes that have been burnt, mix it in with your drink, and drink that just before the New Year comes in. Glad we don't have that one either. And then in Brazil, folks wear the color white on New Year's Day because they believe that it will bring them good luck. And oftentimes what happens there is, is that, they, they are, that, that wearing of white is accompanied by a trip to the beach in which they take flowers and they throw them in the sea and they make wishes. You know, there are all kinds of customs <clears throat> all across the world and, and I have no doubt that you have some specific ones in your own happy or in your own family. And what they're designed to do is, is to help us prepare for to have a happy new year, a prosperous new year, a productive new year, a profitable one, a desirable one. And instinctively, that's why we wish people happy new years. Why we say, I hope you have a blessed new year. Instinctively, none of us wish somebody to have a rotten new year. We don't want somebody to have a terrible new year. We don't want to have one ourselves. We want this coming year to be better than the year that we just left. And it's because of that that I thought that 
makes me want to go back to God's Word. Because what does God's Word tell us about how to have a happy new year? What does it say to us about how we can prepare our lives to have a happy new year? Because the Bible, God gives us a plan that's not one that maybe this will work for us and hopefully this will happen for us. God gives us a plan that is definitive. It says, if you follow this plan, you will be blessed. And so that's what Psalm 1 tells us. So let's read that this morning. Let's hear God's word together and then let's examine it together this morning. Psalm 1, the way of the righteous and the end of the ungodly. Verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring, brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day and for the opportunity we have to gather as brothers and sisters on the first day of this new year 2017, to be able to open your word, to sing praises to your name, to pray to you, and to ask for your blessings. Now I pray, God, that today our hearts would be in tune with one another, but more importantly, that our hearts would be in tune with you. Allow your Holy Spirit to speak through your word to us this day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hopefully you notice that the first word of this psalm is the word blessed. And it's a word that the psalmist uses to describe the one who follows the pattern of life that he lays out for us in the following verses. That word blessed is not only the first word of Psalm 1, but because it is the first psalm, it's the first word of the entire Psalter. That's the first word is blessed. And, and that's an important point to note because it tells us that the psalms, and really we could infer from that the entire scripture is given to us by God for our good. It is given to us so that it might encourage us to live a life that brings about God's blessing upon it. But here's where we have to be careful. Because you see, based upon what the world tells us, we may be tempted to define blessed, blessedness and true happiness as, a, as, a, as just being rich or being famous or or by being good looking, or by coming in first place, or, or by being healthy and fit, or, or by making it all the way to the top of our respective fields. That may be the way that we're tempted to define it, but that's not how Scripture defines what being blessed and truly happy is. You see, while the rich and the noble and the successful and the macho and the glamorous and the popular and the famous, they may all appear to be truly happy and blessed, but you may recall what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. He's, he talked about blessedness in a different way. There he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are, are the merciful and those who are pure in heart. And blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are the persecuted for righteousness sake. You see, Jesus tells us that blessedness and, and the true happiness comes to us in a different way. In other words, our happiness and our state of feeling fulfilled is not based upon our feelings. It's even far less based upon our temporal circumstances. One writer that I read this week put it this way. He says, when I use the word blessed or happy, he said, when I use these terms, I'm not talking about physical comfort or a six-figure salary, or emotional stability, or the absence of conflict or physical gratification, or any such earthly or temporal achievement. That's not to say that these things are, are inherently wrong in their proper place. They may well be expressions of divine benevolence. But we greatly err if they become foundational to human happiness. We should be grateful for them, but happiness is still within our grasp despite their absence. The author goes on and he continues by saying this. He says, the happiness for which we are eternally destined is a state of soul in which we experience and express optimum ecstasy in God. 
Happiness is the whole soul resting in God and rejoicing that such a beautiful and glorious a being as he is ours. Happiness is the privilege, as John Piper has written, of being enabled by God's grace to enjoy and make much of him forever. It is the ineffable and unending pleasure of blissful union with and, and, and enjoining with the celebration of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a, a joy of such transcendent quality that no persecution, no pain or deprivation can diminish, nor wealth or success or prosperity can enhance. Really, that's what the, what the author wrote there is really what the Apostle Paul wrote about. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, there you might remember that he said this, For I have learned whatever state I am in, therein to be content. Really what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. He spoke of a satisfaction in Christ that was beyond the reach of adversity or abundance. And that really brings me to the first thing that I think we need to know. If we're going to prepare our hearts to, to, to have a blessed and happy new year, then, then we need to understand this. Point number one on your outline is this. You prepare to have a blessed and happy new year by recognizing that true happiness and blessing are not measured by worldly standards, but rather by a satisfaction that comes from a deep and abiding relationship with God. This is the happiness and the blessing that the psalmist is telling us is possible. And that is why he begins the psalm this way. He begins by saying, blessed is the man, blessed is the person. And then he says, who? Now, when he adds that word, what we realize is that he's about to go into a detail of telling us how that blessing and that happiness actually can be realized. Here's where we may get excited and think, okay, great. He's about to tell me who I need to follow. He's about to tell me what I need to do. He's about to tell me what kind of books I need to read. He's about to tell me what exercises I need to do. He's going to tell me what kind of, of, of activities I need to engage in. But that's not what the psalmist does. He surprises us. He doesn't start by telling us the things that we ought to do. He starts by telling us the things that we ought not to do. He begins with the negative, not the positive. He tells us that we're not to walk in the counsel of the wicked or the ungodly. We're not to stand in the path of sinners. We're not to sit in the seat of the scornful. At first glance, that might seem surprising to us that the idea of, of a blessed or happy person is followed immediately by a description of the wicked and the ungodly person. But by stating it this way, really he's telling us that that's where all of us begin, right? We all begin as the wicked and the ungodly. We all begin because we're all born into sin and we're all sinners by our choice and by our birth. And what the scriptures reveal to us is that if we ever do enter into the narrow gate that leads to the way of life that Jesus talks about, it will only be because of God's grace. It will not be because of our good deeds. It will not be because of, of our good work. The second thing that the psalmist accomplishes by doing this, I think, is by reintroducing us to the fact that there are only two ways for us. There's not multiple ways. The Bible is clear about this all the way through. As a matter of fact, God spoke through Moses to the Israelites confronting them in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. He says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, he says, choose life that you both you and your descendants may live. Later to the prophet Jeremiah, God said this. He said in Jeremiah 21 verse 8, Now you shall say to this people, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Jesus himself in his Sermon on the Mount said this, There was a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. And what he says, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But then he says this, There is a narrow gate that is difficult and, but it is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. You see, what our Lord's words remind us of, and what the Bible tells us from beginning to end, is that as it pertains to blessing and eternal life, there are not multiple options that allow us to reach that point. Instead, he says there's ultimately only one choice that can be made because there's only two options. As John MacArthur has written, there is no in-between, there's no third alternative. The option is only two, the true and the false, the right and the wrong, God's way and humankind's way. And what the psalmist is telling us here in Psalm 1 is that there is the way of the wicked and there is the way of the blessed and the righteous. The third and final thing that I think that the psalmist communicates to us by beginning the way he does 
is he presents godly living to us in a positive light. And we may think, well, that's just natural. But you can't truly appreciate something that is a godly way of living unless you can see the negative on the other side. A positive affirmation to have meaning must have the negative to go with it. Therefore, to say what the way of the godly and the blessed person is, we must also be able to say what it is not. And that's really what the first verse does. Because this is what he says. He, he, he puts three really parallel statements back to back to back. And he tells us this is, you're not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You're not to, to stand in the path of sinners. And you're not to sit in the seat of the scornful. One, one writer that I read this week said this. He says, believe it or not, blessedness and happiness and true joy can actually come to you when you say no. Well, to whom are we to say no? Well, according to the psalmist, we're to say no to the counsel of the ungodly, which is a reference to what they believe. We are to say no to the, the, the way of sinners, which is a reference to how they behave. And we're to say no to the seed of the scornful, which is a reference to where they belong. I like what C.H. Spurgeon has said with regard to this passage. He says there's a deadly progression here. He says when men are living in sin, they go from bad to worse. At first they merely walk in the counsel of the careless and the ungodly who forget God. But after that they become comfortable with evil. And they stand in the way of open sinners who willfully violate God's commandments. And if left alone, he says, they will go one step further and become themselves deadly teachers and tempters of others. And thus they sit in the seat of the scornful. Whenever I read this passage, I'm reminded of, of Peter. Peter, right after Jesus was arrested and taken away to the chief priests to be uh, uh, interviewed and, and ultimately tried, you find Peter, who was the one who said, Though everybody else forsake you, Lord, I'll never forsake you. And at that very moment, Luke describes what was taking place in Peter's life. It says there that he was walking at a distance. The very next verse pictures Peter standing next to a fire that had been kindled by the very ones who had taken Jesus away. And now Peter is standing there among them, warming himself by their fire. And then the very next verse says Peter sat among them. Is it any wonder that we begin to find at the end of Luke 22 that he denied the Lord on three separate occasions following that? See, the scene then ends with Peter going out from that place weeping bitterly because of what he had done. Friend, the path that Peter went down is the path that the psalmist describes. And what he tells us is that it is a path that leads to emptiness and to frustration and to pain and disappointment. And all of those things are the opposite of what it means to experience happiness and blessing. Consequently, such a path that is traveled by those who do not follow the Lord must be avoided at all costs. That leads me to the next point on your outline this morning. You see, if, if you prepare to have a blessed and happy new year, you'll do it by not thinking like and behaving like and joining up with those who do not love the Lord. Ray Pritchard has put it in a very down-to-earth way. It's a way that reminds me a lot of what my dad would have said to me when I, was, when I was much younger. It's advice that is still just as true today as it was then. Ray Pritchard puts it this way. He says, if you sleep with the pigs... You eat with the pigs, you run with the pigs, you hang out with the pigs, you talk like the pigs, you walk like the pigs, you laugh like the pigs, and dress like the pigs. In short, if you basically do what the pigs do, you shouldn't be surprised that you end up smelling like the pigs, sounding like the pigs, and looking like the pigs. In the end, you will be indistinguishable from the pigs. If we take that analogy being like the pigs is a negative one, then we recognize that becoming like a pig is not the way to prepare yourself for a happy and a blessed new year. Now, all of that exposition gets us through verse 1 of Psalm 1. And some of you are looking at your clock going, oh my goodness, we're going to be looking at this psalm until next year at this time. But I promise things are about to pick up speed. Look at verse 2. Because here the psalmist surprises us again. He began with a negative on the way of the ungodly. 
But we want to know, what about the other way? What is the way of the righteous? We might expect that since the wicked man had been described in terms of his thoughts and his behaviors and his associations, then the psalmist is going to describe the godly man in the same terms. In other words, we might expect him to say that a godly person is one who thinks like and acts like and associates himself with other godly people. That's probably what we're expecting. But that's not what the psalmist says, even though that may have some truth to it. But that's not where he begins. That is more of a result than it is the way. You see, the way that it begins is that he says this. Instead, a blessed person is one who delights himself in the law of the Lord. And then one who meditates on that law day and night. Here's a good question that you ought to ask yourself as you begin 2017. In what or in whom are you delighting yourself? You see, let me quote Ray Pritchard again. He says, everybody delights in something. Some people delight in food. Others delight in a job or a hobby or a career. Some delight in a particular friendship or relationship. Many people delight in money and things that money can buy them. And unfortunately, many delight in evil pleasures and wrong desires. But understand this, your delight will determine your direction. Your delight determines the direction that you take. Therefore, you must ask and answer yourself honestly this question. In what or in whom am I delighting? Let me ask it this way. What is it that gets you up in the morning? Or, as my favorite way of putting it, what is it that cranks your tractor? What is it that makes you get after what it is in life that you're getting after? What the psalmist says here is that what should rev up a person who lives a blessed and happy life is the law of the Lord, which we understand to be a phrase that includes all of God's holy word. In other words, those who are blessed by God, they will love his law and they will meditate on it day and night. That word meditate means to to chew on it. It means to get it in your mouth and not let it go. It's like what a cow does with his cud. He just chews on it all day long and he lets it ruminate in his mind. He, he doesn't let it get away from him. He approaches it and tries to understand it from all the different angles so that nothing escapes him. That's what it means to meditate. Reading your Bible is a good thing. But unless you slow down and meditate on what it is that you're reading and you take time to chew on it, and allow it to become a part of who you are. You're missing the great blessing of Bible study. Warren Wiersbe has noted that those whom God blesses not only read the word daily, but they study it, they memorize it, they meditate on it during the day and the night. Their mind is controlled by the word of God because of this they are led by the Spirit and then they walk in the Spirit. That leads me to the third thing. Then if we want to live and prepare ourselves for a blessed and happy new year, then we will do so by savoring God's Word and focusing your mind upon it. Savor God's Word and focus your mind upon it. The prerequisite for true and lasting blessing, not only for this year, but for the rest of your lives, will come from immersing yourself in the study of God's Word in which He has communicated to us and we hear from Him through His Holy Spirit. So here in these first two verses of Psalm 1, we see the contrast between the two ways that the psalmist is described. And that contrast may be described as the difference between those who who live uh, in sin and those who love God. The wicked, the ungodly, loves the ways of sin. They they stand in it. They walk in it. they, They sit in it. But those who are blessed and are righteous... Listen, they they love God and they seek Him in His Scripture where He may be found. And the remainder of this psalm really just gives us what that looks like as it it goes out to its its full uh, maturity. The first image is described for us as a tree that's planted by rivers of waters. It's a fruitful tree. It describes a person whose delight is in the law of God and his roots have dug down deep. And though all around him may be barrenness and dryness and and, and, and it doesn't look like there's any growth happening, because that tree has got its roots into the, the stream of God's Word, that tree begins to flourish and it still produces fruit. And that's what a description of a happy and a blessed person looks like. Such a one has their roots deep into the Word of God. 
So much so that they have such a deep and strong foundation that no matter what kind of storm may come into their lives, no matter how howling the winds may be or how driving the rain may be, they will be able to withstand it because their roots are deep into the Word of God. But notice what the psalmist says in verse 4, though. Not so the wicked. The ungodly are not so. But instead, he says, they're like the chaff, which the wind drives away. The best way I can describe chaff, and I, I borrowed this, if you go to a ball game and you get the peanuts and you break open the peanuts and you eat the peanut, what do you do with the hole? Drop it on the ground most of the time, right? And what happens to that shell, that peanut shell? Everybody walks on it and crushes it until it's pulverized into nothing but dust. And then what happens? When the wind comes through or the rain comes, it's washed away and you never even realize that it was ever there. That is an excellent explanation of what chaff is. It's worthless and inconsequential. And by giving us that as the picture of the way of the ungodly, that tells us just the opposite of what a happy and blessed life ought to look like. It pictures the futile and the empty and the worthless life of the godless as well as their inevitable judgment. And that's something to be noted as well because while earlier they were portrayed as walking in the counsel of the godly and how they were portrayed as standing in the path of sinners and sitting in the seat of the scornful, here we recognize in verse 5 that they have no standing with God. As a matter of fact, they will not have a seat among the congregation of the righteous. And the reason that is so is because of what we find in verse 6, that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly, he says, shall perish. What we might say is that a day is coming for the wicked and the ungodly when there will be a reversal of fortune. And what that reminds us of is that we are not to judge happiness and blessedness from a temporal or a worldly perspective. We cannot, if we truly want to be happy and blessed, chase after those things that offer no lasting joy. And the reason that is the case is because in the end... All who delight in the wrong things and aim themselves in the wrong directions will end up like the chaff. The chaff that will ultimately be blown away and burned in the day of judgment. So considering all of that, we come back to the question with which we began our study this morning. The question that we began and what should be on our minds as we embark upon this new year is this. How do we prepare ourselves to have a blessed and happy new year? Well, I believe the psalmist has answered that question for us, and I've attempted to summarize it myself with my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. To be happy and blessed, according to the Scriptures, according to God's standards, necessitates being satisfied in God, savoring and abiding in His Word, and rejecting the ways of the ungodly. The question is, how does that apply to us? Three quick points and we'll close. It applies to us first of all this way. It tells us that apart from a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus, it is impossible for us to have a happy and blessed new year. The Bible tells us that we must humble ourselves before the Lord and admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior. That we are to believe in, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we are to, to trust in Him and His sacrifice for us. Friend, if you have never done that, then there is no way that you can honestly look to the future and expect to have a happy and blessed new year. The second thing is this. Supposing that you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Supposing that you have received His forgiveness. Well, this passage tells us that even as a believer, we are to remain vigilant and alert. As we've already seen, you cannot run with the pigs and not expect to smell like them. At the very least, living a godly life involves separation from evil and from ungodly living. To be godly is more than, it's not to be defined simply as just staying away from things that are bad. But I want you to understand this, it's not less than that. As one has put it, if we ignore the negative, we'll never get to the positive. Finally, what it means for us to prepare for a happy new year is that we who are believers must make the Word of God 
our priority in the new year. We should not just simply read it, though that is necessary, but we must also study it, meditate on it, chew on it, and ingest it so that it becomes a part of who we are. God promises that his word will never return unto him void. And in that, then, is a promise to us that a blessing awaits us when we build our lives upon these ancient texts. So brothers and sisters, I leave you this morning with a true heartfelt wish that you will, on the authority of God's word, have a happy and blessed new year. And I pray that you will prepare yourself for it and set yourself up for it by following the plan that God has laid out in his holy word. Because brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together.